TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Show making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Sarah Stewart. I'm Steve Hayter. And I'm Brett Hill. As we discuss every week on the show, paleo is not only about the food we eat, but also our entire approach to daily living. Today's guest is joining us from the US and has not only mastered paleo nutrition, but also successfully integrated some massive lifestyle changes to benefit her entire family, which I know without a doubt we are all super keen to hear more about. Stacey, also known as one of the paleo parents, is a busy mum to three active young boys and also one of the authors of the best-selling, beautifully illustrated, allergen-friendly paleo cookbook for children, Eat Like a Dinosaur. Her second cookbook, Beyond Bacon, which uh, is aptly described as a love letter to pork, is so much more than just bacon as the name suggests. It is an amazingly written book, chock full of recipes that make you instantly ravenous, but even more importantly, it is a showcase for the respect and appreciation that Matt and Stacey have for the environmental and health benefits of sustainably raised pastured animals. Stacey has a top-rated podcast, The Paleo View, and is an amazing source of inspiration when it comes to the practical application of making paleo work for the entire family. Welcome to the show, Stacey. We're really excited to be speaking with you today. Wow, thank you. I'm going to take that clip and carry it around with me everywhere I go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, thank you. So something that really stands out for me, Stacey, is across all of your media and publications, your realness and honesty um, about the journey that you've embarked on and are still continuing. Um, you've obviously made some huge changes in your life since embarking on paleo, including a combined weight loss with uh, your husband, Matt, of over 200 pounds or uh, for the Aussie listeners, 91 kilos. And um, can you start by perhaps telling us a bit about what got you to that point? So I think a lifestyle of terrible health got us to the point of um, being so overweight. And then um, with each of my children, uh, after I gave birth and I was nursing them, after the first one had colic for several months to the point where we weren't sleeping, he wasn't sleeping and it was a terrible situation. We discovered that he had, um, or what we thought he had a dairy intolerance way before I was paleo. And, um, so I learned that I needed to not eat dairy when I was breastfeeding in order for him to not have colic and like a snap, um, it worked and it was magic. And I think, you know, at that point, I started realizing that food has an impact on your body. And I know it's weird to think now so far into paleo, but at the time, it didn't even occur to me that, you know, um, eating the wrong foods could give my child colic. And so it was it, it was the, the awakening for me of a different kind of lifestyle. I started cloth diapering my children and I started getting into more health related things. And at the time that meant soy milk and tofu and a bunch of things that I really regret doing. But then, um, after the birth of my third son, when I was looking into dairy free recipes, because I again knew that I needed to not, um, 
have dairy with my children because it turned out it was my own lactose intolerance that I was passing on to my children and not necessarily their issue. Um, I found in a random Google search paleo ice cream when I was looking for dairy-free ice cream. And I'd never heard the word before. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything about it. At that time, Rob Wolf's book wasn't even out yet. Um, So I did a little bit of research and I found Lauren Cordain's book available at the library. And I went and I picked it up. I was literally like two days postpartum and I was home nursing a lot with nothing to do other than sit there and read books. So, um, I read Lauren Cordain's book cover to cover in like two days. And in that time, I started just throwing things out of the pantry and telling my husband, Matt, I was like, this is such me. Like, this is me to a T. Everything that they're describing, all of these things that I've had wrong with me for 10 years, like it's called metabolic syndrome. And if I change the foods that I eat, maybe it will change how I feel. And it wasn't just about weight loss at that time. I mean, I, I left the hospital after giving birth to Wesley at 336 pounds. So clearly I knew that I had weight to lose, but even more than that, during the pregnancy, I had experienced serious health issues and um, my bones and joints in particular were, were really terrible. And I couldn't make it up the stairs by myself at the mid to end point of my pregnancy. Matt had to kind of help me up the stairs. And so I had no energy. I just wanted to lay on the sofa all the time. When I came home from work, I didn't even want to like ask the kids how their day was. I didn't want to sit at the dinner table because that seemed too exhausting. All I wanted to do was lay on the sofa. So um, to me, when I was reading about the diet and I was reading about well, the lifestyle, the paleo diet is what the book is called, but um, it just made so much sense that I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I mean, how much could it hurt? He encouraged you to try for 30 days. And um just within two weeks, the difference between how my newborn, my third newborn was reacting versus how my first two newborns had reacted. Like he slept through the night almost immediately. He was very calm. He didn't have any gas. He didn't have any reflux. He didn't spit up. It was, yes, it could be that he was just a great baby, but also I would say that considering my two babies were previously pretty consistent with that stuff, the reflux and the colic and the gas are you know, indication to me that there were food issues that were being passed along to the baby with the foods that I was eating. And I had fixed those with going paleo. So I knew that it wasn't just a thing for me and weight loss. It was also affecting my children right from the start. And then um, when I started feeling really good and I adapted the lifestyle, a couple of weeks into it, I convinced my husband it would be the right thing for all of us to do. It wasn't that hard to twist his arm considering he saw how great I felt and I had lost like 20 pounds in a couple of weeks or whatever it was. And um, he said, yeah, let's do this thing. So um, short of a few things that he snuck for a while, as I think some of us all are are resistant to give up. We, yeah, no, not Diet Coke. Um, You know, he, he got on board really quickly and we decided, you know, plus it was a lot easier to just make one meal for everybody versus trying to figure out how to make a paleo meal for me, how to make a regular meal for them. And um, we talked to the boys about how it could possibly affect their behavior because I had done a lot of research and um, particularly behavior-wise going gluten-free, casein-free, there's a lot of research and um, anecdotal information that indicates that behavior is affected by 
by children by the foods they eat, red food dye, chemicals, high fructose corn syrup. And I was like, you know, it's not going to hurt you to give this a try. Let's do it for 14 days. 14 sleeps is what we called it with him. We'll mark it off of the calendar. And when it's over, if you don't feel any different, then we can talk about, you know, what you want to do at that point. But I want you to, to be, give it an honest try for 14 days. And um, some things happened a few days into 14 sleeps that I didn't even realize were going to be affected, like the fact that he no longer needed an asthma inhaler. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't occur to me that my five-year-old had inflammation caused from the foods that he was eating that within literally several days of going paleo, going gluten-free, dairy-free, and removing high fructose corn syrup and chemicals because he didn't even go full paleo in the beginning we were still giving him like gluten-free bread and stuff Mm. even just doing that caused him to have such health improvement that he no longer needed an inhaler at school so there was no turning back for us like that was it my my children their behavior improved their health improved my middle son who'd had a skin condition for over a year that we couldn't get rid of that the doctors told us he would need to go on steroids for magically disappeared after being on paleo for a few weeks you know all of these kinds of things just told us this is it like clearly this is working for us and our family so It's never been about, I mean, it was only about a two-week period where it was about me, but for us, this journey has always been a journey as a family. And I think a lot of people come to paleo a little bit differently than that. Like, they think that it's for them for a long time, and then they have older children, and they worry about integration, and they worry about socialization, and those kinds of things are different topics, but for us, it was, we're in this as a family. We do everything as a family. Like, we just, that's how we live our life is, you know... There isn't special rules. There isn't special meals. There aren't these special circumstances for a certain family member versus others. And so it made sense. We have a family meal every night. We're going to have the same family meal every night. And we know that it's healthy. So. And, and so, Stacey, did your kids get it, like, right off the bat? Like, obviously, they noticed some pretty cool changes there. Like, did they straight away go, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I feel better. I'm happy to do it. Or was there a bit of resistance there to sort of taking away some of their favorite foods? Um, I think both. I think, you know, they really, like, wanted it to work because they saw how enthusiastic we were and how positively we framed it and how exciting it was to make their own cookies at home that they could pack in their lunchbox. And, right. you know, like, we, we did it in a positive way that the, those things were exciting. But then at the same time, there was definite sadness when it was, you know, Pizza Friday at school and they wanted to participate in those sort of activities. Yeah. and. It, you know, in the beginning, we actually let them still buy lunch twice a week. Like we felt like, um, and this is why I encourage everyone to really think of it as a journey and a transition, because we even saw all those health improvements when our child was still buying lunch at school twice a week. And he almost always chose breakfast for lunch Tuesday and pizza Friday, which were the worst possible days for him (laughs) to eat. And, um, Yeah, but he he would come home and he wouldn't feel his best. And we would say to him, like, well, what did you do differently today that made you feel sick? And we didn't even tell him it's food. We just said, what did you do differently that you think maybe might make you feel sick? And he was able to say, well, I had French toast at school today. And maybe that wasn't the best choice. And it took a couple of months. But eventually on a Tuesday, instead of saying he was going to take his lunch he went to Matt and he said can you help me pack my lunch today I'm not going to buy 
And he made that choice on his own because he didn't want to have a stomach ache and feel sick anymore. So it might take other children longer to come to that realization. It might take them shorter. But our approach has always really been about empowerment and encouragement and positivity and finding the good in these things. And it really helps our children feel good about their own choices to live this lifestyle rather than feeling like it's thrusted upon them and it's something that they have to do. Um, that's that's fantastic, Stacey. We uh, put a, some questions out to our Facebook fan page and had a huge response of people with heaps of questions. So I'll, uh, I'll cover off a couple here that we've had. Um, Melissa uh, wants to know, uh, what, are some, what are some tips and, and how can she better plan uh, for preparing food and baking and so forth um, for her children? Um, and how can she work it into a busy schedule? What are some great tips that you can offer? So for us, we do a lot of stuff on the weekends. I think, you know, if you're a typical family, you have the bulk of your time to do those sort of things in the weekend. Um, We've integrated um, those kinds of activities as family activities that we enjoy and look forward to together. So Saturday mornings, the boys and I like to go to the farmer's market and go to the grocery store and do our errands together. Oftentimes, we'll surf on Pinterest for inspiration ideas like that. Because we make recipes, they'll find recipes that aren't paleo and they'll say, let's make this paleo. Or we'll look in recipe books that we have and then they'll pick out recipes that they want to try so that they feel empowered like – okay, this is the one thing that I get this week that's my favorite. Or like my older son loves meatloaf. And so he says, we need to make sure that we get the things for meatloaf. Um, Whatever it is, we kind of discuss that. And then um, we're not very good at formal meal planning. If people are good at meal planning and budgeting, that's the time to do it. We're really terrible about that. What we are good at is kind of like figuring out, okay, these are the foods that we want to eat this week. And these are the ingredients that we need to buy in order to make them and then it's just kind of loosey-goosey from there for us but um some of the things that we do that work really well is because I'm a working mom and Matt stays home with the kids um he makes them an egg breakfast every morning and you know you could make a frittata ahead of time in the weekend you could make you know a sweet potato egg casserole on the weekend you could do a lot of things to prepare in the weekend we chose we we choose to make the kids fresh eggs in the morning. It's just how we choose to live our life. But I don't eat eggs because I'm on a modified autoimmune protocol of paleo because I'm intolerant to eggs. So um, what we do on the weekends is make a big pot of soup for me. I love soup. Um, I find that bone broth is really powerful and healing for me. And so um, on the weekends, we make a big pot of broth. We make sure that we have broth and we have lard, which are our two family staples. And um, we do that on the weekend so that we don't have to worry about it. And during the week, Matt's able to throw together a quick soup because the broth is already made and there's my breakfast and I don't have to worry about it. Um, so I think if you're able to kind of think ahead, like what are the things that I need? Um, and if breakfast is the hardest thing for you, getting out of the door is the hardest thing, then making little egg muffins on the weekend with your kids and letting them pick what go into those egg muffins or making what we call an egg pizza, a frittata on the weekend so that you can just slice off a piece and grab it and go on the weekends. Or, you know, if you want to make like a fruit sweetened muffin to go with a hard boiled egg in the mornings, like having your hard boiled eggs prepared, having your muffin 
prepared will make it so that you can get out of the door in less than three minutes the way you used to do with the Nutrigrain bra or the bowl of cereal or whatever. You can still do those sorts of things if you just prepare on the weekends. Awesome. And it's so important to realize the value that that preparation can, uh, can bring Stacey. Um, a lot of what you were saying really rang home. I used to be a teacher in a previous life, so there was a week each year that I used to dread called Show Week, and uh, basically the kids used to come to school after visiting what we called the Royal Show uh, with all of their goodies from their show bags, which was pretty much sugar, sugar, and sugar. And um, as a teacher, I really noticed the impact that even just um, these recesses or, or mini lunches of, of sugar had. You've talked a lot about the situations that you can control and be prepared for. How do you go about talking to to your children about, um, you know, those social situations, special celebrations, parties and events? Well, for us, it's a little bit different because our children do have intolerances to these foods, Mm -hmm. you know, because my children have conditions like eczema, asthma and behavioral disorders that will surface if they eat these kinds of foods. Um, I also have a child who wets his pants if he has dairy. And um, it's easy to point out to them, if you choose to eat these foods, like if they go to a birthday party and we're not there or whatever the case is, um, we trust them to make their own choices. The five-year-old and the eight-year-old are old enough at this point. They're their own people. And it's I feel like it's really important that they make those choices. Um <clears throat> And we tell them like, okay, well, if there's, if they serve cake, what do you want to do? And, um, my older son will say, well, they usually have ice cream with the cake. So I'll just have ice cream. Don't worry about it. My five-year-old, um, who can't have ice cream will say, I'll just take a paleo cupcake. And we have a stash of, we just have a stash of paleo cupcakes that are in individual Tupperware containers in our freezer. And he grabs them on his way to the party. And by the time they serve cake an hour or two later, it's thawed and he eats it and it's not a big deal. Um, So the other thing that we do in the classroom is on the open house where we meet the teacher for the first time, you know, the first week of school is we're just, we're upfront with them. And we say, our children have intolerances. They're not allergies. They don't want you to freak out. If, you know, if they eat a bite of pretzel, they're not going to die, but it's really important that they don't eat these foods, especially in the classroom, or it will affect your ability to work with them. So, um, yeah. So we say, is it okay if we leave in where we are? I don't know if you guys have them, um, caveman cookies are what we leave in the classroom. They're um, shelf stable and they're individually wrapped so that the children can have one and it stays in the classroom. It doesn't need to be refrigerated because most paleo baked goods that you make only stay yeah. good for a couple of days if they're not refrigerated. But caveman cookies, because they're individually wrapped and um, I don't know what they do to them, but they're, <laughs> they're awesome. And they're only like whole ingredients. And the kids love that, you know, if somebody else has a birthday and they have a cupcake and the parents didn't tell the teacher ahead of time, which they're supposed to do so that the mm-hmm. teacher can tell children like our children bring something that nobody ever does that. Like it just straight up as a parent, it's terrible, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they don't. And so instead of feeling like, oh, no, I'm sitting here watching all of my friends eat cupcakes, they're able to go to their special closet in the classroom, pull out a caveman cookie and eat it. Um, They also are able to eat a caveman cookie when the teacher gives Skittles as a reward for math, (laughs) which makes me want to smack a teacher. (laughs) But um, the the teachers know that 
they're only allowed to eat food that we have brought. Um, and so, you know, my oldest, who's in third grade at this point, told me last year he ate um, some things that were gluten-free. Like, he knows at this point what's gluten-free and what's not. And so he made the choice to eat some, I think there were Smarties or something that the teacher gave out as, like, a reward to the class. And he came home and he was like, that was the worst decision. He's like, I had a really hard time that afternoon. And it was so clear to him that he was unable to focus in the classroom and unable to kind of, like, you know, do the appropriate things because he'd had these Smarties. And to me, that's that's, it doesn't happen overnight. Like we've been doing this for three and a half years. But that's only three and a half years. Like yeah. ch- children are yours for 18 years. So if you are able to make that investment up front, like even getting a few years out of the back end and helping them into adulthood to make their own choices, I think is really powerful. And it's not just about food either. Like we choose to empower our kids to make all kinds of choices. This is just our parenting style. And we've applied it to paleo and food in the instances where we share these experiences with people. But I think, you know, it's my opinion that as a a good parent, it's my responsibility that these children aren't mine. I don't own them. They're their own people. And I'm here to help them and shape them into the best people that they can be. And so I just need to encourage them to find their best selves. It's, It's not my responsibility to tell them what they need to be. It's my responsibility to help them figure out what their best person is. I love that, Stacey. And I, I talk about the same thing. I actually use a very similar method with my kids, so it's really cool to hear you saying the same thing. And, and I often describe it as teaching my kids to love to eat healthy rather than that they have to eat healthy. And, and I think that sort of subtle difference that they, they get why they're doing it and they want to do it is, is so important for the kids. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we've got another question here from Emily on the Facebook page as well, and, and she wanted to know about, I guess, a question I think a lot of people want to know about, and that's other people's children. So, you know, she looks after children, and she says they're coming in with rusks and crackers and wheat and sandwiches and all those <laughs> sort of things. And, and I think this happens a lot also with, like, uncles and aunties or grandparents or, you know, split families. You know, how do you deal with that for when, you know, when other people are doing it and you're sort of wanting to point it out but you're not wanting to annoy them or seem like you're judging or, you know, how do you work around that with, with, I guess, your friends and family? So, um, I don't know necessarily if people were coming into my home, people come into my home, they're welcome to anything I have and yeah. everything I have is paleo. Yeah. They are not welcome to bring gluten into my home. I'm a celiac. My children are highly intolerant. Like there is no gluten rule in this house. Yeah. So, um, because the last thing I want is for my three-year-old to find something on the floor and eat it. Like it's just, it's, I take it seriously. Yeah. So it's, it's not that way for everybody. Not everybody has that um, ability to do that, especially if you're caretaking for other people's children. But um, I would figure out what your boundaries are and just stick to them. Um, I think that's really important with people. But when it comes to like aunts and uncles, especially for us, it's really grandparents. Yeah. Um, they think that they're rewarding children by letting them were you know, my dad calls it like what happens at grandpa's stays at grandpa's. And um, I had to explain to him, I'm like, that's not actually true because yeah. when you bring them home, they're terrible for two days after. He's like, well, they're fine with when they're with me. I'm like, that's because you're at the movies giving them candy and then you bring them back. And now they're on their like sugar high and their sugar crash. Like you didn't see them have diarrhea at the movie theaters. You didn't see them get sick and have a headache and, you know, complain about how they feel and whine and cry and have terrible behavior. Like you didn't see any of that because you dropped them off. Um, 
so I've had to just be really forthcoming and honest with people about this is what happens to the children when you give them this food. And, um, when my dad had one of the boys overnight and he gave them like, I don't know what he gave them. I think he gave them like pancakes with M&Ms on top. I mean, it must've been that bad, right? Like whatever he gave them, it was terrible for dinner. And then that child had a stomach ache all evening and then they were crabby and whiny the next day. Um, he came to me and he was like, all right, I get it. How do I fix it? Like, what do I do? Where, where do I find other things that I can feed them. And for me, that's when I use the 80-20 rule. And I say, you know what, when they're at your house, Trader Joe's sells gluten-free pancakes and waffles. And that's probably going to be perfectly fine for what you want. Like you can treat them and you can do whatever you want and they probably won't get sick from that. Mm. Um, And I think it's different for everybody. I also tell them you can make eggs and bacon. You can take them out to a restaurant and let them get an omelet. Like one of their favorite things in the world is an omelet. That's just my crazy kids. You know, I tell them some options. Like these are the different things that the kids will find exciting. And then they've, the parent or the grandparent feels empowered, like, okay, I can do X, Y, or Z. Um, We have had a lot of questions on our podcast about people sabotaging on purpose, Mm -hmm. um, particular I think the frustrating or the hardest part is when people feel like they're doing your kids a favor because they're like, oh, your kids need grains because they need fiber. And that's what it really comes down to, in my personal opinion, respect. Like the example that I gave on our podcast was um, if a person thought that my child needed to see Schindler's List because it was a powerful movie with a good message um, and they wanted to show Schindler's List to my kids and I said – you're right. It's a powerful movie, but my kids aren't ready for it. So please don't let my children see Schindler's List. And then they showed my children Schindler's List anyway. My children wouldn't go back to their house because they disrespected me. And it's the same thing with food. If you tell someone, please don't give my children grains because they get plenty of fiber from leafy greens and almonds. And if you want any questions, if you want me to answer questions about that, I can but it's my decision and I'm their parent and do not purposely feed my children food that you know is not allowable. And if they do it anyway, then my children wouldn't be going back because it's about respect. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's just, like I said, it's not just about food. It's about parenting in general. I feel really passionately that if I'm um, handing over the most important thing in my life, which was my children to somebody else, that they certainly need to be, on board and respectful when they have my children. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's it's important to have those conversations, Stacey, and I love that analogy that you brought there. I think if, if it came down to that uh, tricky conversation, I really think that's a great way to, to draw a parallel and uh, see have people see things from your point of view. Um, we had a couple of questions, uh, one from Stacey and, and Evangeline on the Facebook page. They want to know um, if breastfeeding is not an option, uh, what what are some good paleo alternatives? Uh, and, and also further on from that, when the baby is no longer breastfeeding, um, what, what are some good options? And, and they've said here, do they need milk? <laughs> so what are your suggestions? They do not need cow's milk. Um, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nutritionist, but there's absolutely nothing in cow's milk that they can't get somewhere else. Uh, My children never actually had cow's milk because they had lactose intolerance. So um, certainly it's not needed. For the breastfeeding question, um, 
I would highly suggest that people who are interested in breastfeeding check out. We have a couple of podcasts on breastfeeding, and I'm kind of a freak show guru on it. I breastfed all three of my children for about two years, and I was also a leader in the Leche League. Um, so I've had a lot of experience with it, and I've shared a lot of that knowledge on on podcasts. So um, they can check those out. But um, <clears throat> The Weston A. Price Foundation formula would be kind of the best um, approach that I would take if I knew someone who had issues. Um, I would also highly suggest looking into women who don't eat milk. I had an oversupply with my first two children, and I actually found um, women who were in need of breast milk. One in particular had adopted um a baby who was addicted to drugs and it was really important that that child in my opinion have the best start that they could so I made an effort to pump extra milk for that baby to have like at least half of its food supply from breast milk and there are a lot of women out there what they call milk donors milk banks different places like that where you can get breast milk from women who have oversupply or who are willing to give that milk if that's not an option for you, because it can sometimes be expensive, um, then I would suggest the Weston E. Price Foundation's formula where they use a lot of whole food sources like liver to create a nutrient-rich source of food for your baby. Uh, because commercial formula has a lot of stuff in it that I wouldn't give my children, so I certainly don't want to give it to my infant. Things like hydro- hydrolyzed fats, things like... Um, soy corn syrup and soy and a bunch of things in it that like i wouldn't want to eat that i wouldn't want to give that to my toddler so i don't want to give that to my baby i do want them to have healthy fats i do want them to have iron i do want them to have calcium and all those things um and you can get those from whole food sources and um WAPF, the Westney Price Foundation, has come up with a couple of different options for making your own formula at home. I personally would use the goat milk formula just because my family has issues with cow milk. But if raw milk works for you personally, then your baby probably won't have an issue with cow's milk, raw milk either. So I would look into that. Absolutely. And we'll post some details on our Facebook um, to Western A. Price. Fantastic. Well, Stacey, we'll, we have absolutely loved chatting to you today. Your information is Fantastic, and it's so great to hear about someone else's approach to how they handle these situations. And it's really valid and important when you're taking on a new lifestyle. Um, the more prepared you can be and, and thought out about these situations, you know, the better success you're going to have. And that's the joy of having things like podcasts. We can uh, surround ourselves in a community of um, what works. So um, thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, your time with us today. For more on Stacey um, and the Paleo Parent, I strongly encourage you all to go and check out their website, paleoparents.com, which is an awesome resource. It's full of practical information and useful ideas that are really great for applying to your own paleo lifestyle. Um, The website will also link you to um, a very entertaining blog, which is actually my personal favorite. Um, And you can purchase their delicious recipe books through the site, Beyond Bacon and Eat Like a Dinosaur, and uh, which, by the way, they make perfect gifts if you can stand the thought of actually giving them away. Um, So for more inspiration on demand, you can also check out Paleo Parents on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And to connect with Matt and Stacey as their journey continues, like their page, Paleo Parents on Facebook, and listen to their podcast, The Paleo View. So... 
That's it for this week. Make sure you check out The Paleo Parent and head over to our website, thatpaleoshow.com, to tell us what you think. Until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story, and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts. Oh my gosh, hold on, my cat's stealing my T-bone. Hold on. <laughs> oh, we're recording. <laughs> and they think we have rabid kangaroos. Yeah, we're recording. We're That's crazy cats. <laughs> cat, cat problem. I've got that on record. Luke will put that at the end. <laughs> Can we put a note there? Just to make sure that he puts well, that I hope in. you were already recording for that blooper. Uh, we, we actually were. So we I just it. said we'll make sure Luke puts that, our IT guy puts that at the end. That'll be brilliant. Oh, my gosh. So we have these um, Bengal kittens. Do you guys I know what Bengal? Oh, Bengals. Yes. I want one. Yes. I'm obsessed. What's its name? Um, this particular one's name is Gray Snow, and then we have a girl whose name is Denarius. We call her Danny and Gray. And um, Gray is crazy in the bongo boingo, is what we say around the house. He um, loves meat like nothing I've ever seen. Of course, they're, nice. they're great free paleo cats. Um, and anytime we have meat, if we like leave it anywhere... He steals it, and he doesn't just, like, steal it a little bit. Like, he starts growling and running off with the food. Like, he goes Brilliant. he goes total animalistic on the meat. And right. so I, Matt made me a steak, and I set it down because I didn't have time to eat it before the show. And I literally heard him growling, and I turned around. And he had my entire T-bone. It's bigger than his body. He's just still a kitten. My entire T-bone. And it's, like, hanging out of his mouth as he's trying to jump away. So... <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs>